ambush in Dallas. I'd ask all Americans to say a prayer for these officers. The race crisis in America. You can just feel the anxiety. This is a special presentation from KISS 104 and News 95.5 WSB and streaming live on WSBradio.com and KISS104FM.com. Good Friday evening, and thanks for joining us for this very special dual broadcast. I'm Mark Aram from WSB Radio, alongside my colleague Jennifer Kitt from KISS 104. We wanted to do a special broadcast, um, obviously uh, a very difficult last 72 hours for the nation and here in Metro Atlanta. So uh, one of the biggest benefits of being live and local and in radio is being able to put together something like this, a service to the community, and that's what we're going to do for the next 60 minutes on KISS, for the next 120 minutes on WSB Radio. Um, we're going to talk about the last 72 hours and what it's meant to the white community, the black community, and the humans that uh, occupy this nation of ours and this city of ours. Uh, it is being broadcast live on our websites at kiss104fm.com and wsbradio.com and on our uh, mobile apps. And uh, you can find us on our Facebook pages as well. We will be talking while we're in commercial breaks on the radio. We will be talking on the live stream. So the conversation will continue. Uh, joining Jennifer and myself, Condis Presley from KISS 104 and WSB Radio, the Pearsons, Monica and John. <laughs> and uh, we'll be joined by Mark Winnie from Channel 2 Action News in just a minute. Um, I'll start with you, Jennifer. This is your show. Take Take the reins. The last 72 hours in your life and, and what it's meant to you and your family. Well, now, you know, Mark, it is just, I, I, can't, I can't believe how many times I've had to go on the air and discuss the hurt, the pain, the frustration that we have experienced as a nation. I do want to say, though, that this is unprecedented for us to even sit here as colleagues and to have these audiences combine here tonight. I think this is a first step toward healing. I am... Honestly, excited tonight because I believe that this conversation begins the process that is so vital for our nation right now. It's been tough, but I believe that there's still some hope ahead. Monica Kaufman Pearson, uh, icon. Uh, I mean, no introduction needed. Um, everyone knows who you are. You've been in this market for so long. You've covered so many news stories, um, so much uh, on the progress we've made when it comes to civil rights and some of the back steps we've made. The last 72 hours for you, what have you been dealing with? I cried when I heard the little girl saying to her mother in the back of the police car after her father was shot by the police officers, even though he had a license to carry, and he had the gun, and told the officer that, to hear that little girl tell her mother, you know, that she was there for her, and then, you know, I'm here, Mommy, and to think how that child has has going to live with that for the rest of her life. It was just scary for me. And then with the police officers last night, I kept thinking, I'm so glad John is no longer mm. at the DeKalb County Police Department because this could have been him. Mm. But in the same vein, I kept thinking, it could have been him in the car. Yeah. So it's been very mixed emotions for me. But I've also come to this point that we've had a lot of noise, but we haven't had much action. And when I see the young people marching, I keep asking, are you registered to vote? Do you vote? Mm -hmm. Are you taking your action in the streets to where it can really make a difference? And that is changing laws, changing policing. And 
it's a lot of noise, but not much movement. As we broadcast this show right now on both KISS and WSB, there are peaceful protests and marches going on on the mm-hmm. streets of Atlanta. We've been following them here on the radio for both. Uh, Condis Presley, um, we, we had the back-to-back awful, tragic, videotaped killings of, of black men. And then on the back end of that, right after that, right as we're still trying to um, understand. understand what happened and process yes. and process it and we don't even have that time when dallas happens yesterday what what was the news sense in you um when when we you see the 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 news break two officers shot in dallas to what it eventually turned out to be as as an experienced uh news reporter um is it easy for you to separate who you are as a person with who you are as a journalist when it comes to stories like that I don't think any of us, Mark, who are journalists ever separate. I mean, we bring who we are uh, to the table and to the job. As devastating as it was to see both of those videos as Condis the person and be upset and to cry, as you did, Monica, uh, about those lives lost. And then there was one officer dead when I went to sleep last night. And when I woke up this morning, there were 12 people shot. There were five officers dead. And just within the last 30 minutes, we learned from the Homeland Security Secretary that there really is only the one shooter. There were multiple people arrested, which we heard this morning, but the two men and the woman have since been released. They say that the ricocheting of all of the bullets is why they thought there might have been multiple snipers, but it was just the one killer. And and no, you don't. You have compassion. And the day that I come into this place and we cover and tell people stories like this, and I don't feel something, and I don't have compassion for the officers, for the families. That's that's got to be the day I've got to yeah. find something else to do. So that so that was the latest development that there uh, the authorities in Dallas are saying there is uh, only one shooter. Another. Uh, movement on the story and again folks if you're just getting your car you're just getting off to work you don't know exactly what happened today um, with the advancements in the Dallas story we we have identified the shooter Um, we're not going to say his name but what do we know about the the shooter that was killed last night and the young man was 25 years old he had been in the army reserves he had served at least one tour in Afghanistan so he was knowledgeable about the use of weaponry and was, was a, a, an accurate shooter. The thing that I think really surprised many of us was what we heard from the Dallas police chief today and repeatedly today that after those hours of negotiation, they found that their only option was to use that device in the parking garage where essentially they blew this man up. They, they took him out with explosive uh jennifer um yes where were you um <laughs> last night when, when this occurred and and your your reactions this morning as, as we I learned actually more? um because i you know journalist in me i sleep with the phone mm-hmm. next to the bed and uh, i think it must have been about five this morning before i realized and i honestly i thought i had to go get my glasses because i i, I was like what are you what what's going on as we were processing through and kind of walking through trying to figure out where I even think as far as what's been happening this week in Baton Rouge and in Minneapolis. This morning, I, I honestly, I got on my knees. All I knew how to do was pray. I, I, that's, just, that's just me. I, I did not have any answers for that. We're talking about husbands. We're talking about wives. We're talking about men and women being gunned down. 
But then my heart was still aching from the fact that we were talking about black men being gunned down. And we've had this conversation, Mark, over and over and over and over and over again. When are we going to start healing? When are we going to start hearing? When are we going to start actually trying to make some, some significant steps forward to see change happen? What, what do you want us to, to try? I mean, obviously, um, we're going to do our best tonight to do um, what we can to help the community as a whole on both KISS 104 and WSB Radio. What do you want to accomplish uh, tonight on the show? What can we do as, Mark, as a unit? This conversation right here, you're looking in my eyes. I'm looking in your eyes. We're different people. We have different perspectives. We have different colors, different experiences. But we're able to look one another in the eye and say, I'm hurting and here's why. That's what I want. I want for our audiences together to be able to say we cannot go on hating bl black people, hating white people, hating law enforcement. We've got to be able to look like this, like we're doing right now and say, hey, this is what's going on with me. What's happening with you? How can we move forward? Earlier today, I got a, a note from Valerie Jackson, the former first lady of the city of Atlanta. Yeah. And she gave me a quote that I think answers a lot of questions. And it was so simple. It's from Dr. Benjamin Mays. If you believe in something, you must act on it. Mm. If you don't act on it, it's not a belief. It's just an opinion. Mm. Now, we're getting a lot of opinions. But I'm going to pull John in on this because he's been in law enforcement for over 35 years. And everyone points to law enforcement and says, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're picking on black folks. And I thought it was interesting that the chief of police <laughs> naturally in Dallas is an African-American exactly. man. Exactly. Yes, he has done a marvelous job. John? <clears throat> well, I think you're, you're absolutely accurate. We, we have to... We've gone through this time and time again where I believe that as a country, we're in a place where we're going to have to sit down and actually bring leadership, leadership from police departments, leadership on state and local and federal level together and the community. And I think we're going to have to start with the faith based community and begin to say, how do we how do we recover from this yes. and, and not just talk about it during the period of time where we're going through a situation like this, you know, where w once the, the demonstrators have gone home, we've forgotten about it. We have to continue the process to in the conversation so that we can improve. I believe we have to improve the policing model. I, I think that there's some, you know, we haven't really changed our policing model and philosophy for about 50 or 60 years. Everything else has changed. You know, I, I tell I talk about it all the time. Law enforcement is a paramilitary organization, but the military even even has changed the way that it it approaches, uh, you know, their servicemen and teaching them and how and how they function as, as a whole. We really haven't done that. We pretty much teach our police officers the same way to do the same thing and respond to respond in a very authoritative way. You know, we're facing millenniums and and they don't respond to that, that authority, that authoritative approach very well. So we really have to be willing to, I think, change that our policing model. But it, it's going to require a a a a coming together of all the uh, sections and saying, hey, how do we how do we do this differently? Well, what can police do differently? I mean, it, as You've done it for years. How do you approach? I don't understand why people have to be put on the ground when they're just being stopped. Tackled. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I understand that process because the, the thought process is this. If you're on the ground, 
I, I have more control over them. And there are absolutely situations where you and, and people that you deal with that you have to put on the ground so that you can control them. But just because I stopped you for a traffic violation doesn't mean that you're the kind of threat to me that I have to put you on the ground. And, and but we, so, s- we see that repeatedly, though. And, and that's where I say the, the, the policing model and philosophy, we have to be willing to change that. We have to re- really be able to, to feel comfortable with embracing the community and saying, let's talk about that, that policing model. What should it look like? And how, how can we incorporate the expectations from the community into the needs and requirements of a police department? John Pearson joining us on the panel, uh, current law enforcement executive, 35 years in law enforcement, and an African-American male, which um, gives you perspective on both sides of the last 72 hours. I have to stop for a break. I'm going to pick your brain, John, like it's never been picked before. I'm sure we all are, because you truly have a unique perspective on the situation. Um, If we can, we're going to try to get some very civil uh, very intellectual kind of mm, calls from nice. the KISS listeners and the WSB radio listeners. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You're listening to a special dual broadcast, Ambush in Dallas, the race crisis in America, on KISS 104 and News 95, 5 a.m. 750, WSB. Ambush in Dallas. I'd ask all Americans to say a prayer for these officers. The race crisis in America. You can just feel the anxiety. This is a special presentation from KISS 104 and News 95.5 WSB and streaming live on WSBradio.com and KISS104FM.com. Welcome back to the show. Mark Aram and Jennifer Kitt with you on KISS 104 and WSB Radio. Alongside the Pearsons mm-hmm. and Miss Condis Presley, having an honest discussion about the last seventy-two hours in uh, our great nation. Uh, John Pearson, thirty-five years in law enforcement, mm-hmm. African American male. Uh, I saw something on social media today. It says uh, it was basically just a question: Why is it not possible to feel uh, horrible about the murders that occurred in, in Minnesota and Baton Rouge, and for the police officers in Dallas? It's, it seems like we have this divide. You can only be sad about one side or the other you're you're on both sides what what's it like for you in in a time like this for me it's extremely troubling because you're right i I am on both sides and but the reality is that anytime someone's life is taken in such a senseless way it's a problem for the society that we live in and and i struggle with that also and you know as, as monica alluded to earlier you know i find myself in a situation where I am a law enforcement uh, executive, and I'm also a black man. Mm-hmm. And when I'm driving my car down the streets of Atlanta, I am a black man. And occasionally, I'll get pulled over. And so I find myself in those same situations because it's not until it's not until they realize that I am a police officer the that I, I, I'll be I'll be treated differently. Mm. But that shouldn't be the case. Exactly. You know, I should be treated with the same level of respect that everybody else that stopped is treated with. And again, for me, it goes back to the policing model. And I think to some some degree that once they find uh, that I'm a police officer, they may feel that I am not a threat or I am not as much of a threat. But at the end of the day, 
there's a certain amount of respect and dignity that every person that I stop or a police officer stop has a right to expect. And that's not always the case. That's now, not. you talk to me all the time about, you know, the president's task force and all those recommendations they came up with. What have they done with them? For me, that's the very catalyst for changing the policing model. Okay. You know, the, the uh, president's task force on 21st uh, century policing came up with basically six pillars that really kind of defined how policing should uh, should take place in, in, the, in the 21st century. And 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 that he brought together some of the greatest law enforcement minds to come up with this. And so we have this report and. And for me, the very essence of the report is is the the whole process of changing the police model. One of the things that the, the primary pillar was, you know, building trust and legitimacy in, in the community. And we have to we have to incorporate that in our in our police trainings, in our police academies, in in our uh, in service training. We have to be able to teach officers how to police. A completely different method than we are uh, accustomed to using. If, if this was a corporation, we all work for a, mm -hmm. a corporation, and we're very happy here. But if this was a corporation, and we were seeing the results that we're seeing on the streets, the the, the heads of the corporation would get together. All right, we've got to we've got to redo this. We've got to come up with a different plan, retrain our folks because what we're doing isn't working. When we get back, I want to talk about. Jennifer, what you had to say to your children in the last seventy-two hours, mm. and um, you should hear what John says. To his son. I want to hear the conversations we need to have with our kids after what we've experienced in Dallas, Baton Rouge, and Minneapolis. 404-872-0750. You're listening to a special presentation on KISS 104 and News 95, 5 a.m. 750 WSB. Ambush in Dallas. I'd ask all Americans to say a prayer for these officers. The race crisis in America. You can just feel the anxiety. This is a special presentation from KISS 104 and News 95.5 WSB and streaming live on WSBradio.com and KISS104FM.com. Welcome back to the show. Uh, 7.34.26 in front of 8 o'clock. Mark Aram and Jennifer Kidd with a special dual broadcast on KISS 104 and WSB Radio, um, just trying to put our heads together as a community and, and, and just comprehend what we've seen occur in the last 72 hours from Baton Rouge to Minnesota to Dallas. A distinguished panel of my colleagues joining us, Condis Presley, John, and Monica Pearson. We are awaiting the arrival of Mark Winnie from Channel 2 Action News, but I think he is still covering the... Yes. Uh, the protest down. The protest, the protest down. The, he, so far, I just sent him a text. March. He's on his way. Okay, <laughs> excellent. So Mr. Whitting will join us. Uh, we continue this dual broadcast, and we are streaming live on our websites, kiss104fm.com and wsbradio.com, and on our mobile apps. Um, I, I can't speak to this for a number of reasons, so I'm going to throw this out to the, <laughs> to the general audience. I don't have children, and I am not of color, but when I logged onto Facebook after... The Facebook Live video mm -hmm. in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. What I saw from my friends, uh, my African American friends who were parents and grandparents, yeah. and the struggle they had, and the the outpouring they went to social media and say, "What in the world do I tell my son or grandson now? I'm not in that position. My parents never had to have that conversation with me. They just said, "Be respectful, and you'll be fine." It's a different conversation that needs to occur in the African-American community. What 
are you folks telling your kids and grandkids about this? Uh, Mark, it's been very, I'm a, I'm a mom of four. Um, I've got uh, two daughters, a 28, 25-year-old. My son is 22, and my youngest is 21. And we have raised them in, in community here, you know, in, in the Atlanta metro. And Mark, I'll be honest with you, when I had to start talking to my son about wearing his hoodie, I knew it was real. Yeah, mm-hmm. I knew it was really real because he he was a skater, right? So so Caleb likes to to put on the the hoodie that that's skater gear, but I was scared because to see my son driving my car in the neighborhood with a hoodie on, I'm thinking, what are they thinking? Mm-hmm. This boy is a straight A student. He's president of his class and all the accolades that I can continue to. But when I had to sit him down and say, you can't? Mark, that's crazy. This is the United States of America. He's now an investment banker in Charlotte. This week happens, and I'm still on the phone. Are you okay, Kay? Um, When you're walking to and from work, is everything okay? Because even, I don't know that law enforcement, if they look at you right now, you're wearing a, a wonderful shirt and tie. If my son has on a shirt and tie, does that protect him? Clothing to protect my son? Yeah. It has been a crazy dialogue inside my own heart and inside my own mind. I wish I could tell you, this is what you tell your kids and this is going to make it okay. I had a caller on my show last night. We were discussing this, um, what, was, what happened in Minnesota before the Dallas thing broke out. And I had a, a lady from Cobb County uh, who is a school teacher. Her son is 17, straight-A student. And she says one of the rules she has is, and this broke my heart, he is not allowed to hang out with more than three people at a time. Mm-hmm. He can't, because she says that, you know, the more people, the more yes. black kids that are hanging, hanging out, together, out together, the more attention you'll draw. Mm-hmm. So he is not allowed to hang out in groups larger than three. That blew my mind. There was never a time growing up where mom was like, you know what, Mark, just hang out with Steve and, and Frank tonight exactly. because it, that's a reality. And I think a lot of listeners to WSB radio might not know that reality. And I didn't even know that reality until last night as, as, as a law enforcement officer, John, um, to Jennifer's point, does, does wardrobe matter in the eyes of law enforcement do do groups of people matter i know i i can't ask you to speak for the entire community but but there's validity to this right i mean or am i just crazy or overprotective or no no you're 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 not crazy no nor overprotective Uh, you know and that's the reality and it's a difficult reality um because you know the first thing you know it's that first impression you know they're there are a group of criminals who will dress a certain way, you know, and, and you, you see that, you, you, you know. And then so when, when our kids will, will mirror yeah, that, kind, right. you know, then law enforcement doesn't know which is which. I, and I, I tell you, the, the thing that really, that, that, that is so, so very difficult and conflicts me so greatly is the situation uh, uh, the night before last I'm a member of Noble, the National Organization of Law Enforcement Executives. Um, through Noble, we have developed a a program where we go out and and talk to kids about how to survive a police encounter. Mm. Mm. Survive. Listen to yes. your language. Yes. 
but that's the reality mm -hmm. a, a, after all you know so you know what can we do to to improve your ability to to manage that um and i don't i don't know all of what was said i i am depending upon the statement of the girlfriend what when she says that he stopped uh, the officer stopped us uh he asked for our, his uh her boyfriend's license the boyfriend supposedly said, um, I, I'm armed. I have a license to carry. Uh, it's in my pocket. Okay. And then something else happens in that exchange and he ends up mortally wounded. I'm conflicted because he did everything we right. tell people to do. Mm -hmm. We, and and he he did the very thing that well no he didn't but he would he did the very thing that I would have expected my son to do but I wouldn't have done that as a as an African American man as a police officer I would have I wouldn't have told him that I I, I had a gun really I, no I, I mean because I, I believe that if an officer if I get stopped and the officer comes to my my window I'm going to give him you. Know, I'm going to give you my driver's license. Sure. Okay. Wow. Now, after, you know, because that's the first thing that they asked for. I I, I shouldn't have to, to go through that. Uh, I don't think that I'm going to do anything to to make him feel threatened, but I, I just wouldn't have done that. Yeah. He would, and, and I shudder to think what would have occurred if I had been stopped and he just realized that, that I had a, had a gun. You know, it, it changes the dynamic it, of it, the of the it, pullover for it, sure. It absolutely does, and and I I haven't heard anything that in in it, that I haven't heard anything to make me believe that that uh, that young man attempted to uh, obtain a weapon in a threatening manner. And yeah. I, I I just don't know. I haven't heard that. And we we and that. Okay, now you know what's bothering me. I got to jump Please in jump. here. That where is the NRA on this? Mm -hmm. Where is the NRA? Because, mm -hmm. you know, they talk about the importance of being licensed and having a license to carry. Mm -hmm. Why aren't they coming out in defense of this young man? You can't have it both, both ways. ways. So if you really strongly believe in the right to carry a concealed weapon and this man had a license to do it, why isn't the NRA joining the demonstrations and supporting this man and his family are likely waiting for the investigation to be complete and for someone but they haven't done it in the capacity. past wow yeah they, for, wow. i'm going to plead ignorance they might have made a statement on this i they have seen it or have, okay. they have I'm, not i'm just playing devil's advocate but that that is a very valid point um the the uh, national rifle association is usually on the forefront of of gun control issues or gun issues or, or things that go awry. And they've been very silent on this. And on Dallas. Yes. And on Dallas. But we do need to talk about it because if, if as a, an American, it is my constitutional right to carry a, a weapon. And as a, as a black woman or a black man, I want to now protect myself more than ever. Sure. But now I'm conflicted because this week has happened. So I'm carrying a weapon or I'm giving a weapon to my child, which is his constitutional right. And, and he has the right to carry. And but that right may get him. Killed. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, that is a tension mark. That is a tension that we cannot expect a society to just endure 
and not speak about it. We cannot do that. I should not have to feel this way as, as a law-abiding professional in this country and as raising children who are law-abiding citizens contributing to this country that happen to be African-American. We should not have to feel this way. And that's all we're saying. But our children are very different. You know, we raised our children to ask questions. Why are you doing that? And one of the biggest things that John and I have found out when we go to an event and I make him talk to the kids uh-huh. about what you should and should not do, they're like, well, why should I have to do that? <laughs> because that's, that, that, that's, yeah. And it's a legitimate question. It is a legitimate you know, question. Why, why should, we, you know, and. Because you want to stay alive. <laughs> you don't want to go to jail. But it, but it, she, you're absolutely correct. You know, it's it's a mindset that says I have to teach my son, my African American son, how to survive a police encounter. Now, I'm not, offended not, not, that we haven't yeah, even used not, that. Now, think language. about that. Yeah. Now, a few years ago, we always taught our children that if you're in trouble, a police officer is the person. The person you're supposed to, and and it should be that way. It should, it should, it should still be that, be that absolutely. way. Right. But but now we're teaching our kids how to survive. For the record, in Minnesota, that lady didn't call the police. She went to Facebook. She went. She didn't call the authorities. She didn't dial nine one one and oh, say no. please. She went straight. She to went Facebook. to wow. the Great Equalizer in 2016 which is social media. But that's the point here, where we talk about our young people. They don't believe in even reading the newspaper, except if it's on their phones phones. or their computers. So the first place to go for her was simply that. I am going to document what is happening because I can't trust the authorities to to, to tell my story. Because my, my question becomes this. She was dealing with the police. Who else was she going to call? Wow. Yeah. No. The police were there. That that encounter was with law enforcement. So those are the people that you call when you're in trouble. And so, you know, again, and I, I wasn't there. I don't know all the dynamics that took right. place. But at the end of the day, he lays dead. What what we're doing, what you are doing now, because I, I am not in this position. I fully recognize that. And what you are doing now, I had a caller to my show last night likened it to what he was taught as a child in the 50s growing up in the South, where his father said, if you're walking down the sidewalk and you see uh, white people coming towards you, move into the street and let them go. And he was looking back on that and realizing how angry he was that that's what his dad told him to do. His dad didn't say, stay on the sidewalk and keep walking, get off into the street, let them walk by, and then you can get back on the sidewalk. He asked, are we, and now in 2016, while teaching black children how to not get um, in trouble with the police. How to survive a police Is that a comparable analogy to what he was taught as a, as a child in the 50s? Are, are you... You you understand what I'm trying to say, Monica? Are, well, are you- back in those days, if you looked at a white woman the wrong way, you could end up dead. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what so happened his to father Emmett was just and trying to protect exactly him. What he was trying to protect him. Yeah. Now we're telling our boys and girls, and I, what was that comment you always say about about you know you, something about the ride? You may beat the rap, but you're going to take the ride. Wow! That if you argue with a policeman. He's going to win in the end. Now, yeah. you may have the charges drop later on in court, but he's got the last word on the side of the road. So it's better for you to handle it in a different way. Sure. 
you know, you can't, you can't hold court on the street, and, and you're never going to win that. So I have to be able to teach my son how to manage himself in the midst of, of, of that anger, because he's upset. He feels that he's yes. been treated wrong. He lives in America. He should be able to, to object and, and have, his, have his regrets heard. But that's not the place to do it. Yeah. And when you, if, if I allow my son to continue to escalate that situation, he's going to end up in jail or hurt. And these are conversations that we all have to have. Right. I've got daughters, right? Oh, yeah. yes. So I'm thinking I have to have conversations with them about the men that they're dating, mm -hmm. about who they're associating with. We have a brand new son-in-law, and my son-in-law is gorgeous, chocolate, big teddy bear. And we've had conversations, and he is a professional in the industry, and we've had conversations when he goes out, that he has to make himself look not threatening. Now, these are private conversations that we're having in our home. Mm -hmm. But once again, these are contributing citizens of the United States of America. And we're having to have in 2016, after everything that we have been through to fight to get to where we need to be, we're still having these same conversations. And I think it's that level of resentment, Mark. It's that level of resentment that our society needs to address. We have to. We have to begin on both sides because I'm sure white folks are tired of being vilified, right? They're, they're tired. Law enforcement, white law enforcement is tired of being vilified. Can they not have a say too? Where do we have these dialogues and these conversations? Where? Well, you know, black law enforcement officers are feeling the heat too. Absolutely. Yeah. From both sides. Yes. From both sides. So think about that. And then yet and still they have to go to sleep tonight wake up tomorrow I, I i don't even how do they how do they do that it, it, it's a struggle because you think about you think about dallas how do the officers <sighs> at dallas go to work at at seven o'clock this morning mm. to protect this the you know the citizens and the, and the people that you know and well somebody was shooting at us you know yeah and and the reality is they had nothing to do with the things that have, have occurred recently. And, they, and they, to be fair, the Brotherhood of the Blue on the streets in Dallas yesterday, they were black and white officers yes. risking each other's lives yes, for exactly. each other. Yes. Um, and for the community. And yes. for the community. And one of the things, Mark, that we didn't say when we were doing the update, mm. in Dallas, it was a Black Lives Matter protest. It was the end of the peaceful protest and demonstration. It was handled the correct way because the law enforcement and the citizenry were working together. And this one lone gunman who told authorities before he died that he was angry about Louisiana, that he was angry about Minnesota, and he wanted to kill white people. He wanted to kill white officers, and that's what he did. We are going to continue this conversation on WSB Radio, on the uh, internet at kiss104fm.com and wsbradio.com, 404-872-0750. We'll be back after this. News 95.5 at AM 750, WSB. Okay. Welcome back to the show, Mark Aram with you. When we come back, uh, Mark Winnie from Channel 2 Action News joins us after covering the, uh, the uh, peaceful protests downtown. In the meantime, if you want to consider this conversation on social media, you can tweet at me, at Mark Aram, M-A-R-K-A-R-U-M. At Jennifer Kitt, K-E-I-T-T. At Condo29, C-O-N-D-O. At Monica WSB. At Mark Winnie WSB, that's at M-A-R-K-W-I-N-N-E-W-S-B. We'll be right back after this. 
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.